things that we look at as markers of someone being a good believer. But on the other hand, when I think of shepherds, and I just kind of catalog all the way down through Scripture, who are some shepherds in Scripture? Well, Abraham's a shepherd. Moses is a shepherd. Um, David, you may have heard of him, is a shepherd. The prophet Amos is a shepherd. Jesus himself refers to himself as a shepherd. So there's a little bit of this tension here that you can't just take the shepherd's testimony, which in ancient Jewish literature, a shepherd's testimony was not admissible, like in, in law. They were that unreliable. They were that uh, patchy and spotty. And so people would just be like, ah, oh, shepherd, we're not even going to listen to their testimony, which makes the appearance and the announcement of the gospel of great news, great joy to shepherds, something very much like Jesus would, would do. He, he has this idea of like taking things and flipping them on their head, turning them upside down and backwards. You want to be great, you need to be the least. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to hear good news of great joy? You got to be a shepherd. Like, oh, I get it. So he makes his announcement known to them. But returning to that idea of fear, think about that. The, the angel perceives that their response, their internal reaction is fear. Can I just say that I think fear drives so much of what we do? You're like, well, not me. I mean, maybe this person next to me. Think about it for a little bit. We fear for ourselves. Things like, what will people think of me? I'm terrified that I'll say something that will make myself look stupid. We fear whether we will be a success in career, in life, in marriage, or parenting. Is this thing going to hurt me? We fear. Or we fear for others. Will my friends be safe on their vacation? Will my children turn out? Will they be healthy? Will they have a good marriage? Will they have children that honor the Lord? Will my children be respectful and upright? We fear. So the question from a truth-to-life perspective is just this. What are you currently afraid of? You know, one of my favorite movies from the early 2000s is a movie called The Patriot. And it tells the story of this guy, Benjamin Martin, who has a really sordid past. And um, he is someone who wants his past to just go away. And the opening line of the movie is a narration of him. And he's, he's narrating while this trunk is opening and you're seeing weapons of warfare like an axe and, and stuff that you're like, wow, that's like heavy stuff. And, and you hear him narrating and the first line of the movie says this, I have long feared that my sins would return to haunt me and the weight is more than I can bear. That's the greatest fear, isn't it? That's the fear that goes above and beyond all other fears. And it just says, look, I stand condemned before a holy and righteous God, and I can't do a thing. And here's Jesus in a manger with the promise of deliverance, with the promise of hope, with the promise of forgiveness and redemption as a baby. 
and you see these prophecies beginning to come true and everything that's wrong in the world being undone by his arrival. Makes me think of 1 John 4.18. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect, and by perfect you can say complete or mature, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I would just say it maybe this way. Fear is banished on the basis of the love of God in Christ. And it started with a baby. It started with a baby. And so that fear, because fear will press on what we treasure. I'm afraid for my safety. If I feel unsafe, I will be afraid. I fear for my standing before God. And so I treasure being known and loved so just real simply, his arrival means that that kind of fear, the fear where punishment is attached, doesn't have to be true anymore. Now, fear in light of respect and reverence ought to guide and be the center of your life when it comes to him. But we celebrate what we treasure, and our hearts are going to continue to reveal that. I said the angel said to them, uh, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And I love that verb translated good news. It's the, the term gospel that we've seen. Um, it's found 11 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Ten of them are in the book of Luke. But that next phrase, great joy, is attached to the truth and the beauty and the message of the gospel going out. You could see places like in 2.10 where it says good news of great joy. But then if you fast forward, you could look at like chapter 10, verse 17, where Jesus had sent the disciples out and they had done the ministry that he had called them to do. And they returned and they're like, Jesus, could you believe this? Like even demons are subject to us in your name. Like we're, we're like healing people and casting. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. They, it said they had great joy because Jesus reminded them it's really not about that as much as, it, as it's about being known by me. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, he says. And you could jump down to chapter 24, verse 41, toward the very end of Luke, when Jesus, after his resurrection, shows up. Now, that would be a little bit like the moment on the hillside with the shepherds and this bright light, and like, oh my goodness, fear not. Jesus just shows up. And it says, while they disbelieved for joy. Have you ever thought about the, the, the contradictory nature of that statement? They were so overcome with what their eyes were seeing and so filled with joy that they're like, it can't be true. I don't even know if there's like a, a great comparison of what we have in experience that says, oh, so like I've been so overcome with something that I'm like, oh, this is so incredible. No, no, it can't be true. The closest thing that I could think about is maybe the birth of a child. I can't believe this is happening, you might say to yourself. But it is. It's like right in front of you. It's happening. And then after Jesus explains some things, it says that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, if you look at all of those examples, they're all connected to this idea that the good news that people need not fear punishment anymore because of the uh, ministry of King Jesus the result is great joy. Do you have great joy? 
Do you? Is it common for you to sit? And I mean like, just shut it all off. Shut off the phone. Shut off the TV. Shut off conversation and interruption. And just in a place of utter stillness, do you have joy? Because joy is impenetrable if you have Christ. The question becomes, how did their great fear, the shepherds, turn to to great joy? How does terror turn to celebration? Well, I think the arrival of a deliverer is the only answer. If you think about Israel, you think, here are people who are used to oppression, used to marginalization, used to deportation, used to enslavement, used to exile, and everything that goes along with those realities. They're used to it. An announcement of impending deliverance is not a headline. It's not clickbait. It's not circumstantial. It's not, oh, that was nice. No, it's good news of great joy because everything else around you is horrible. It's good news of great joy. The term great in the Greek actually is where we get our term mega. So it just sounds kind of silly when you say it, but it's true. It's good news of mega joy. When was the last time you described your heart as filled with the mega joy of the arrival of Jesus? The people of Israel had been hearing of and anticipating this news for centuries. In Isaiah 52, 7, a verse we often quote, but don't necessarily realize the weightiness of it. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's gospel. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. And here's the key. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, I would say that the absence of peace, the absence of joy for most of us means that we feel like someone else has either taken the steering wheel or someone else is sitting on the throne. If you oust me, then I would like to choose who that person is, right? If you're going to be controlling my life, I would like to have an understanding of who that would be. And here Isaiah says to the people of Israel who are in exile and and being deported and marginalized and oppressed and enslaved, he says, look, your God reigns. It's like, right. You mean right now? Yeah. He reigns. You see, Israel had gotten used to calling out. There's going to be some verses up on the wall. When you think of a deliverer, think of these things. I think Andrew can put them up there. These are... I'll just read them for you because the font might be a little bit small. In Exodus 2.23, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Pharaoh drew near. The people of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Same tense there. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, Exodus 14.10. Or you see it a few times in the book of Judges. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Or Judges 4.3. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Or Psalm 61, 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer from the end of the earth 
I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So Israel, used to oppression, used to marginalization, used to enslavement, exile, and all the things that go along with it, had been really well versed in crying out. God, come. Do something. We can't do it. Repentance was the answer and continues to be. And so we see the angel make the declaration, I bring you good news of great joy because born in the city of David this day is a Savior, Christ the Lord. Well, when we start to look at what it means that Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord, we start to get an understanding of how what we treasure is what we celebrate. First of all, a savior is a person who rescues or delivers someone from danger or violence. Especially, it's used of Christ as he is the one who rescues us from the consequences of sin and judgment. The people of Israel had known this for some time. They had heard of these things. In fact, in Isaiah, you see this over and over and over again. Isaiah 43.3 says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Or Isaiah 43.11 says, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. The term Savior can really mean deliverer. When I think of deliverance, I think of something that's a lot, uh, a lot more difficult, a lot more weighty, a lot more powerful. And so maybe my question is, if, if you don't have joy or even mega joy, if that's not an experience of your reality, then, then the question becomes, do you actually believe that you need rescue from what your daily routine is apart from Christ? Do you actually look at yourself and you think like, man, I am apart from his infilling, apart from faith in him and by grace, like I, I've got nothing and I need saving, I need deliverance. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you need delivered? Or do you think you got things pretty well in hand? And you might be sitting here thinking, well, this isn't really the encouraging, warm, fuzzy message of Christmas I was hoping for. Yeah, and many people in the first century when Jesus was laid in the manger said the same. But it must be our consideration if we're to appreciate the babe in a manger. It must be. Or how about Christ? These three titles that we see. The term Christ in both Hebrew and Greek actually just refers to this idea of the anointed one for a specific purpose. It refers to the coming king who will be called and equipped to do God's will in initiating the restoration of the new age. Like That sounds a little confusing. Well, look at how the disciples, only uh, a few months post-resurrection and Jesus' return to heaven, look at how they handled things in Acts. In Acts 2.36, the author tells us this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Or how about Acts 10.36? As for the word that he sent to Israel, he's talking about Jesus, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So there was an anointed person, Jesus Christ, who came bearing a message that you need him. 
You need salvation. You need deliverance. You need someone who can do something that you can't or won't. And then you see it with Lord. If there could be a more unpopular term in our day, it would be this one. Because the idea of Lord means someone who is master, someone who is ruler, someone who is authority. And I don't know about you, and maybe it's just my age as I get older, but I can't believe how weak people view authority. What an anemic view we have of the power and judgment of God. Because we look around and nobody can tell me what to do. You're going to call me by a particular pronoun. You're going to do whatever I tell you to do because you bow to me. How does that work in reverse? How does that work? It is a sad state of affairs when we think we can rule better than him. And here is this angel telling these terrified, uh, go get a new pair of underwear shepherds in the middle of a field. Don't fear, because here's the deal. There is somebody who is going to deliver you, someone who's anointed for that purpose, and someone who will be your ultimate authority in all things. And that's how you get saved. And the shepherds didn't bat an eyelash, didn't go do their job. They actually set everything down and made a beeline for Bethlehem. Why? Because they knew. They knew. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this. Because if you confess, that means if you agree, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be Saved, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in the greatest passage of Jesus' humility, Philippians chapter 2. Paul concludes with verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the point of Christmas. That's the role of Christmas. That's what we come here celebrating. So then from a truth to life perspective, what were the responses that we saw in the book of Luke? Well, in, in the short narrative, we see uh, all who heard it. We see shepherds and we see Mary. I'd like to highlight each of their responses and then just ask one final question as we wrap things up. It said, all who heard it wondered. Wondered. That term in Greek simply means to be marveling or amazed at something. You know what's interesting? It doesn't say a single thing about surrender. Have you ever seen people who are amazed at something but it doesn't really change their life? Like, that was Jesus' experience with all of his miracles and the way that he conducted himself. But when he moved from, here, I'm going to do something for you, to I want something from you, I want surrender, I want a heart dedicated to me, they were like, sorry, I only want to take, I don't necessarily want to give. And I would argue that perhaps those who saw, and it said those who heard, they wondered, 
I think that they were just like, wow, that's amazing. And that's about as far as it went. What about the shepherds? It says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. That seems like a pretty fitting response. It seems like we're going to lift up God. We're going to praise him for everything he's done. This is incredible. I don't even really want to go back to work, but like, here we go. I got to go back to the daily grind. And God, you're awesome. That's a good response. But what about Mary? It says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That term treasure means to preserve or keep safe or to store up for later use. So think back to that thing at the beginning of the message, that that celebration that you would see on a regular basis. You're like, okay, I'm going to celebrate the anniversary of my marriage. I'm going to celebrate the birth of my children. And every year you look forward with it to it with anticipation. And after the anticipation, it comes and you experience it and you celebrate it. And then on repeat, you do it again and you never get tired of it. But it says, I love this, this this idea of treasuring is to store up for later use. Why? Why would Mary have to do that? Because Mary would also be pondering in her heart at the foot of the cross, watching her son bleed to death. You think she needed the treasure then, didn't she? She needed the treasure then. Do you need the treasure? My question to you is just this. What about you? What about you? You, not the person next to you, not your kid, not your mom, not your dad, not your coworker. What about you? What about you? What do you treasure? Whom do you treasure? Is it Jesus? Are you storing up to call on for later use the goodness and the grace and the glory of God in announcing, here is a babe swaddled in cloth, lying in a manger who's going to go to the cross, walk out of the grave, and raise to life for your freedom? What's your treasure? What's your treasure? my prayer is that today you celebrate your treasure, Jesus, that he's the center of it all across the board. Every celebration that doesn't include him pales in comparison, doesn't it? So let's pray and enjoy the rest of our day in him. Father, we love you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your obedience to your father's plan at great cost, at great pain, at great humiliation to yourself. As we leave here today, would you remind us of your mercies? Would you remind us of the reason that we celebrate? Lord, we do celebrate what we treasure, and we treasure you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed day, and Merry Christmas.